Do you pick up a, a Bible or your service sheet? And we're in um, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. A one-off sermon in the Psalms. Let me read Psalm 27 for us. Uh, A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in a day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I'll offer in his tent sacrifices of shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage, and wait for the Lord. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Our Father, after what has been a weary year, uh, last year, I pray that you would uh, feed us and strengthen us uh, through this psalm. I pray your spirit would come uh, to us and give us a desire to live wholeheartedly for you. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, on the 16th of uh, December 2020, Just a few weeks ago, uh, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, just to be clear, uh, we don't want to ban Christmas. I think that would frankly be inhumane. And then three days later, on the 19th of December, he says again, it is with a very heavy heart that I must tell you that we cannot proceed with Christmas as planned. I'm sure all of us know the effects that has on us. I'm not here to comment on whether that was the right move by the government or the wrong move. Um, I know many of us in this room will agree with Boris and many of us will uh, disagree. Uh, But we can all agree on this. We can all agree on this. The decision um, to cancel Christmas and the decisions that the government have taken over uh, the last year 
have taken a toll on us. They've taken a toll on our families as we've been split across the country. They've taken a toll on our church family as our fellowship has been somewhat divided. It's taken a toll on this whole nation. And Christmas, well, that was the last act of a hard year. It's worth saying as well, though. Um, last year wasn't all doom and gloom. There are many things to give thanks for, many things to be joyful for. Uh, 2020 was not the hardest year in history, and probably not the hardest year in many, for many of us either. But nonetheless, nonetheless, are you not spiritually weary? Has this last year not taken a spiritual toll on you? We may have all suffered spiritually in different ways and felt it in different ways. It may have appeared differently to each of us, maybe on a Sunday morning as we wake up to go to church and just feeling reluctant to get out of bed and to gather with God's people. It may be that you are weary because you lack and you're feeling the lack of church fellowship and support. I suspect that's particularly true if you have uh, young children and you haven't had the the support of church family that you're used to for the last eight or nine months. Or it may appear to you just as a growing dullness in you. You've had no appetite for God's words, uh, no appetite for prayer, no zeal for his glory. You haven't felt a deep burning love for the Lord, Lord Jesus. You haven't had a desire for his church. You're still in the routine of reading God's word and praying. But that's all it is, a routine. It brings not much joy to your life at the moment. Or maybe it may look different to that. Maybe that you feel like you are clinging to the Lord, not drifting. But you're in the valley of the shadow, not on the mountaintops of joy. And your question is, how much longer... Lord, how much longer uh, will it be like this? Uh, it's worth saying as well that your battles may not also be COVID-related. There are many other hard things. I think many hard things in our lives have been skated over and forgotten because of COVID. Uh, but the truth is this. We have no promise from God that this next year as we start will be easier. We have no promise that some other disaster won't come upon us. Of course, of course we hope. We hope it will get better. better. We, we hope these vaccines will improve the situation, that many of the restrictions we suffer from will be lifted. But we simply don't know what the future will hold. And that's a fearful thing. Next year could be worse than the year just gone. And Psalm 27 as a psalm for those who feel weary, wearied by that, who feel like they've been drifting, or who feel downcast from this last year, or who feel overwhelmed. Psalm 27 is for you. The Lord Jesus is very gracious to us. When our spiritual flame is flickering feebly, he doesn't ask us to make up the words ourselves, to produce in us the desire that we long for ourselves. And he gives us the words and phrases and the prayers that we need 
to speak to ourselves, to meditate on, and to pray to him. And Psalm 27 is such a prayer. It's a rich mine uh, of truths. We could take our pickaxes to it and find many things to feed our hearts and our souls and to strengthen ourselves with. Uh, We could turn aside and admire many jewels in it. Uh, But this morning we're going to pick three. Three jewels. Uh, Three jewels that David meditates on here. Uh, Three jewels, I think, that would have strengthened Christ uh, as he struggled through life to the cross. And the first one is this, in verses 1 to 3. The first jewel to strengthen us. The Lord is mine, verse 1 to 3. The Lord is mine. Not that I possess the Lord, not that I have the Lord in my pocket and I can take him out, not that I can whistle for him like a genie and he comes running, but that the Lord is for me. The Lord is mine. That's what David's confessing in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Valuable expressions for uh, all of us. Uh, but they're not just that God gives us those things. He gives us light. And he gives us salvation. No, David's confessing that the Lord is those things to David. It's not that God lobs down gifts to us, but he is the gift to us. David's saying, I don't walk in darkness because God is my light. I don't fear death because God is my salvation. I can't be shaken because God is my stronghold. What can I fear? All of the Lord is for me. All of the Lord is for you. When you think of the Lord and you picture him and his majesty and his glory and his holiness and his strength and his power, know this, all of that is for you. All of him is for you. Paul echoes this in Romans 8, doesn't he? Romans 8 verse 31, he says, if God is for me, if he is mine, what can be against me? We don't know the future, do we? We don't know what's coming to us. And 2021 as we head out uh, but there's no desperate situation that can come to us that can cause us to be afraid david in, in verse two and three of our psalm he imagines the worst possible scenario he can imagine he's a soldier after all and so he imagines the most terrifying war uh, armies coming against him evil dudes assailing him coming to eat up his flesh uh, it's worth saying this is not entirely Hypothetical for David. There are times when he was surrounded by enemy, when Saul was attacking him. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23, Saul, he, he was on one side of the mountain. Saul came round both sides in a pincer movement to trap him, to tear him apart. And the Lord rescued him. David is maybe imagining, maybe uh, reflecting on his own experience. And he says, even then I will not fear. Even then I will be confident Imagine a uh, First World War soldier marching off to war and he's coming close and he can begin hearing, hearing the, the gunfire and the shells falling ahead of him. And as he marches with his platoon, uh, coming the other way are stretchers carrying dead bodies. And as he marches, he says, I, I will not fear. I, I will be confident. The Lord is mine. I will not fear. I will be confident. The Lord is mine. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that confidence in the Lord? 
We'll come on to uh, in a second, verse 2, where he says, David says, his foes will stumble and fall. We'll come on to that when we look at verse 5 and 6, uh, at what that means. But for now, we need to, need to know this. Uh, what we see in these verses is David's confidence and security. In hard and fearful places, his confidence and security comes from knowing the Lord is his. Do you confess that the Lord is yours? It's possible for a believer to know that, to know all sorts of things about the Lord, but not to take possession of him. Again, not not in the sense of putting God in our pocket, but in the sense of knowing that all those things are for me. There's a world of difference between knowing things about God and making them yours. And yet, what Christ won for us through his uh, life and death was God for us. God's covenant promises to his people. Uh, What are they? The main one is, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And that promise is the one that Christ secures for us. So it's possible to believe, for example, the Lord is light, as David does in verse 1. Uh, he's holy, he's pure, he, he's good, but not to confess that he is your light. To be like a man reading a book about the sun down his cellar, reflecting on the beauty of the sun, being like, wow, the sun is amazing, and yet refusing to go outside and bask in the sun himself. Perhaps a slightly easier example for us to grasp is, uh, we, we know scripture tells us that for the Christian, God is their father. And yet it's possible not to confess as a Christian, not to know in your heart that God is your father. What does it look like to know that God is your father? Well, it looks like a little boy, doesn't it? Running, running to his father's arms, relying on his father, depending on his father. Do you know that he is yours? The Lord is mine. One thing to do, uh, to, one thing to do when you read God's word is to aim to discover who God is to you, to the Christian, and turn that to prayer and take possession of it. So, so I, read, I read God's word in the morning and I, I see that God says that he clothes the flowers of the fields and feeds the birds of the air and he knows my every need and he will provide for me. And so I pray, Lord, you are my provider. Or, or I read that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be my comforter. And so I pray, Lord, you are my comforter. Or I see that Jesus says to his disciples, I do not call you servants, but I call you friends. So I say, Lord, you are my friend. And when we do that, that works into our soul and changes our identity. The Lord is mine. Secondly, second jewel, verse four. I am the Lord's. The Lord is mine and I am the Lord's. Verse four, David declares to the Lord that God has his heart, that he is devoted to God. He has one desire. He says, I ask God for one thing, one thing I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to be continually in the presence of the Lord, to find complete contentment in knowing God unhindered by all the trials of this world. Why? Because, God, because David finds God irresistibly beautiful. Christians find Christ overpoweringly desirable, worthy of all devotion, and to gaze upon him, 
to admire him, to be absorbed in his beauty. We know what that experience is like, to be absorbed in beauty. We've had it in a very earthly way. Uh, when you look at a sunset, uh, that's glorious. When you look at the night sky, when you look at a painting, when you watch a movie, that's stunning. We know what it's like to be absorbed in beauty. Uh, we love what is beautiful, don't we? Uh, we're made hungry as humans for beauty. And God is that which is most beautiful to behold. That's what David's declaring. He's saying we're not just made hungry for beauty. We're made hungry for the beauty of God. In fact, all other beauties that we admire should lead us to be more absorbed in God's beauty. You may ask ask me, uh, how is he beautiful? How is God beautiful? Uh, And my first response would be, that's almost too big a question for me to answer. It's it's almost too magnificent a thing for me to be able to put into words. It it surpasses uh, expression, just like if you show someone a photograph of a sunset. Uh, That photograph would not do justice to uh, the sunset itself. Uh, We only know God's beauty uh, through God's word, as God's spirit comes to us and the depths of our heart shows us his beauty, the beauty of his mercy, or the beauty of his holiness, or the beauty of his power, or compassion, or justice. But even though I can't describe it to you very well, I can guarantee this, that if you gaze at it all your days, uh, you will be content with your life. It contrasts strongly, doesn't it, verse 4? It contrasts strongly um, uh, to the world we live in. Uh, to the world we live in where, where our culture denies by and large that God exists, uh, where we are experiencing the panic of, of a virus, where many are suffering from pain and death. Uh, the peace of knowing God, dwelling with him, of gazing upon him, of inquiring in his temple. Now, the world offers us hardship, but God offers us eternal delight. Now, now the place we come to commune with God most clearly is here, isn't it? Is that church where we worship and gaze uh, upon him. And so not gathering as a church should feel like having our heart's greatest pleasure denied. But although church is fantastic, although gathering together is fantastic, it is not the fullness. It is not the fullness. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Paul's actually talking about love and spiritual gifts, but the point applies here. It says in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I, as I have been fully known. Now we know God in part. Now we can gaze upon him in part. And that's fantastic. But it's not the fullness. Uh, We look upon God as one who looks upon a a dimly lit mirror, uh, as one whose mirror is steamed up uh, by uh, by steam. And that's good and that's beautiful, but it's not the fullness. So while we eagerly desire to know God, we most eagerly desire to join him forever in a new creation. And where does this confession leave, leave David? 
Where does it lead him? Well, it leads him to verse 5 and 6. It leads him, first of all, to certain uh, security in verse 5. Um, uh, not security in health, not security in wealth, not security in uh, earthly deliverance, although that might come, may come. Uh, but David knew he was going to die, didn't he? David knew he was going to be stripped. We know that uh, ourselves. We know we're going to die. We know that all we hold dear in this world uh, will be taken from us uh, by death. Jesus himself descended into the grave, didn't he? So, so will we. Uh, but in the day of trouble, David says, ultimately in the day of death, when he goes to the grave, where he's overwhelmed, he says, we are as safe as we are now. You now are in no more danger sitting in your seat than in the grave. Justin Martyr, an early Christian, wrote to the Roman emperor emperor, and said these words. He said, you can kill my body, but you cannot hurt me. Why? Well, because I am the Lord's and he is mine. I belong body, heart and soul to him. How come? Because Christ has lived and Christ has died for me. And verse 5, Christ is the shelter in the day of trouble. Christ is the cover, our cover. Christ is the rock that we're set high upon. Uh, we sang that song, Christ Alone, uh, with its glorious lyrics. And one of the lyrics goes like this, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Nothing can come against us, not even death itself to pluck us from Christ. And David, meditating on this in verse 6, uh, begins to rejoice. His heart overflows. He lifts up his head around all that's troubling him, around all that's causing him to suffer above his enemies, and he sings for joy and he worships God. Uh, do you feel that? Just a little bit this morning? Uh, my question is this. Why are we not all the time like David? If this is true, that I am the Lord's and the Lord is mine, why am I not all the time rejoicing like David, rejoicing in the Lord's? I think two, uh, two big reasons. Firstly, we know ourselves too well. We know ourselves too well. We know that our hearts are a mixture uh, of desire. And our desires are not single-mindedly for the Lord. Uh, we're not wholeheartedly in verse 4. And so living for the Lord uh, is a struggle. Uh, we know ourselves too well. We know our, our past too well. We know the ways, even this year, that we've drifted and failed to live for the Lord Jesus. And that dulls us. Uh, the Grey Havens, a, a Christian band, uh, wrote a song. And in it, they, they wrote a song about Adam, uh, a line about Adam, I should say, and some lyrics about him. And it said this, Man from the dust, that's Adam, came reflecting, all beauty and goodness and life. But he lured his gaze and listened to the face of low desires. Uh, God is that which is most beautiful to behold, and yet we lure our gaze. Uh, we become content to settle with lower desires and to not struggle to look up and fix our eyes on God. We know ourselves too well, but we also, uh, we're still in this world, aren't we? As I said, we haven't received the fullness of verse 4. That's a promise to come, although we may taste it now. We're not in the peaceful dwelling with the Lord. We're beset uh, by wickedness in our own heart and wickedness around us. Uh, the devil is real and lurks and seeks to tear us from God. 
And so we struggle right, to live out our desire for him. And so David, knowing this, turns to prayer in verse 7 to 14. Turns to prayer. Uh, and uh, we'll pick out one thing from these verses. Uh, uh, one, one thing that forms the, the backbone of his prayer. And it's this. Uh, thirdly, this morning. Uh, the Lord desires to be known by us. The Lord is mine and I am the Lord's and the Lord's desires to be known by us. David cries out in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, I cry aloud, wretched man that I am, be gracious to me and answer me. And then he goes on and says, uh, in verse 8, you have said, seek my face. God has said, seek my face. Now, if you have an ESV, which you might not if you're looking at the uh, service sheets, but there's a little footnote there. It says that the word seek uh, is plural. The day, so God isn't just speaking to David alone, when, when David says, seek my face in verse 8, he's speaking to the whole world. God calls out, seek me uh, to the world, uh, to David himself. And that's tremendous news for us, because it means that God seeks us before we seek him. And so our desire for him, to commune with him, to dwell with him, to be with him, to know him, springs from hearing his call. We're not the initiators, we're the responders. Like David in verse 8, second half of verse 8, where he says, you've said, seek my face. And he replies, my heart says to you, Lord, I do. Uh, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Uh, God desires to know us. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, puts it like this. God delights not to hide himself from us. He hides not himself. Nay, he desires to be known. Uh, he delights not to make himself a stranger to his poor creatures. If you're a Christian, God has called you. God has justified you. God has sanctified you. God has adopted you for the work of Christ. God has been your helper. He has been your salvation. And the point, point of these verses is this. Uh, he will not now hide from us. He will not now hide from us. Uh, If you give yourself to him, uh, if you set your heart upon him this year, if you come to him and plead in verses 9 and 10 for him to forgive you, to not be angry with you, for him not to forsake you, then he will not. Uh, Often we don't want to do that, do we? Our failures weigh us down. We don't want to acknowledge, uh, even to God, let alone other people's, the weakness of our hearts. Uh, the way we struggle to love him and adore him. Uh, we even may fear being despised, perhaps by God himself, or God to be disappointed with us uh, when we show him what we're really like. But it is not his character to be angry with us, to be angry with those who come to him, who come to him weeping with their hearts uh, and calling him to show their face to, him, to us. Uh, he will not hide his face from us. Uh, David goes on to use a, a particularly strong analogy in verse 10. Um, he said, I don't know if it's literal, by the way. I don't know if David's father and mother actually forsook David. Uh, but he says this. Uh, the point is this. God's commitment and desire for you is stronger than a father and mother's uh, desire and commitment for their children. Now, children... Children, I wonder how much 
do your parents love you? How much do your parents love you? Do they love you a little or they love you a lot? They love you a little or they love you a lot? They love you a lot, don't they? They'll do anything for you. Parents, how much do you love your children? A huge amount. You'll do anything for them. Give up anything for them. Do anything to protect them and help them. And David's saying, David saying uh, God is more committed to us than a father and mother committed to their children. You come to him and make him your desire, he will give it to you. He will give himself to you. What about the world we live in, the threat of a troubled world that seeks to tear us from God? Well, I think David turns to pray about that in verse 11 and 12. He says to God, teach me and lead me. In verse 11, sorry. Uh, the, the way before me is treacherous. I could be beset by many things. Many things seek to tear me from me, from you, to lead me on a level path. Do not allow that to happen. Uh, he goes on, protect me from evil. There are many who would seek to destroy me, many false witnesses, many um, uh, who hate me, uh, protect me from them. And David finishes his psalm, verse, 10, uh, verse 13 to 14, he finishes his psalm in calm doesn't he? Wait for the Lord, he says. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He takes courage and is strengthened after he has reflected on these truths. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a quiet, inner confidence. It comes from knowing the Lord is his, that Christ has done everything. He cannot be torn from Christ's hand, even when he goes down to the grave and is covered by the earth, he is secure and safe. I believe, he says, even as he takes his last breath, he will still say this, I believe that I will look upon the Lord in the land of the living. Why? Because he is convinced that the Lord desires to be known by him. The Lord will not disappoint him. He will be with the Lord forever. Wait for the Lord, whatever your struggle. Wait for the Lord. He will not leave you in it forever. May you pray for us. Our Father in heaven, um, we do have hearts that are all over the place that don't desire you as they should. I pray you strengthen us uh, to look to you, uh, to love you, uh, to make you our desire, and to know that you are ours, uh, and that you desire to be known by us. I pray that would strengthen us uh, this coming year. In his name we pray. Amen.